the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show on another hot day in the Portland metro area. Speaking of hot, we're going to talk with Larry Elder. He is the uh, producer of a new documentary. Uncle Tom, An Oral History of the American Black Conservative. You can find out more at UncleTom.com. And by the way, as a KPDQ listener, if you use the keyword Portland, you'll enjoy a 20% discount. You can either watch the film there by renting it or you can order the DVD. I did watch it over the weekend and it is spectacular. He'll join us in our next segment to tell us more about that. We'll also hear in the the five o'clock hour from Ron Price, play nice in your sandbox at home, how to enjoy a peaceful relationship with the important people in your life. So that's uh, coming up on today's program. First, a look at some of the day's news. Police in Portland on day 60 responded to reports of gunfire near the courthouse protest site, took two individuals into custody, according to the Oregonian. An apparent victim was treated at a hospital after being taken there in private vehicle. The report pointed out it was not immediately clear if the shooting was related to the protests. As police were securing the scene, a person arrived at a hospital by private vehicle with an apparent gunshot wound, non-life-threatening, police said in a statement. That person seems to have been associated with the incident near Southwest 4th Avenue and Southwest Salmon Street. Uh, Portland police are still investigating. KATU reported the shooting occurred about a block from where protesters had been clashing with police and federal troops. Federal officers, they're not troops, they're civilians. Tweets from the Mark O. Hatfield Federal Courthouse indicate another large uh, crowd late Sunday. I could hear the helicopters overhead virtually all night. That's been the case for weeks now. American protests, demonstrations, and violent riots are expected to continue throughout the country. And Mr. Gohmert says Democrats' strategy is to keep America in turmoil to make it easier to dump Trump. And Portland riders use a cover of crowd to commit crimes and launch fireworks at officers, according to uh, observers. We are 100 days out. President Trump looks for a game change as Biden makes gains in the upcoming presidential election. And according to a new Fox News poll, uh, Biden tops Trump in battleground Michigan, Minnesota and Pennsylvania. Meanwhile, Senator Tom Cotton, he took to Twitter on Sunday to call out what he identified as fake news after criticism following a newspaper interview where he spoke about the founding fathers and how they considered slavery a necessary evil. Cotton was interviewed at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette and spoke about a bill that he sponsored that seeks to deny federal funds to schools that incorporate the New York Times controversial 1619 project into its teaching curriculum. Cotton told the paper, we have to study the history of slavery and its role and impact on the development of our country, because otherwise we can't understand our country. As the founding fathers said, it was necessary evil upon which the union was built, but the union was built in a way, as Lincoln said, to put slavery on the course to its ultimate extinction. He was quoting at the time. The quote was picked up by critics on social media who called out the senator for what they said appeared to be a justification for slavery. A Minnesota couple who wore Nazi flag face coverings were told not to return to Walmart where they donned said masks. And a Chicago nurse brawled with a train passenger who ranted about coronavirus. 
I think we're all on edge. China reports the highest daily domestic coronavirus infections since March, and Representative John Lewis' body was carried across Selma's Edmund Pettus Bridge in Alabama. Tributes on the Capitol Rotunda continue. Only the second African-American to lie in state there. Business economists are sketching a more hopeful outlook. We hope they're right. And gas prices have increased, or gas price increases, I should say, have slowed in the past two weeks. While gold soars to an all-time high as the dollar dive adds to and fuels a record run. On Friday, the Seattle chief of police issued a statement that recent legislation gives officers no ability to intercede to preserve property in the midst of a large violent crowd. So the rioters are free to riot and you are on your own. But a judge blocked the city's ban, leading Seattle City Council member Kashama Sawant to complain of the brutality of capitalism. And so the riots came and police were attacked. At least 59 were injured. Again, this is in Seattle. They also rioted in California and ABC News called it protest. Longtime Democrat Ted Van Dyke warns the longer this continues, the greater demand to see it stopped will grow among wage-earning families, small business people, homeowners, taxpayers, and voters. Families of public safety and emergency personnel already have been alienated. And the New York Times is blaming the federal agents for the violence that predated their presence. In Milwaukee, a black Trump supporter was gunned down and a caller to C-SPAN is threatened more bloodshed. As they smash up vehicles, dance on cars, and start fires, New York riders are targeting police vehicles, which explains at least in part why the feds use printed unmarked vehicles. New York felony assaults are up 30% in New York. They're still using high-powered lasers that have already done damage to the eyes of some police officers here in Portland. Businesses in downtown Portland are struggling as the riot continues to keep customers away from uh, and windows boarded up. Riders uh, uh, even blasted police with fireworks again. Jerry Nadler still claims Antifa is a myth in the midst of it all. Meanwhile, Chris Wallace has called out Joe Biden for avoiding interview. Biden's handlers clearly don't want anything but the most friendly media, so he's not open. Florida Democrats claim the Biden campaign is suppressing the Hispanic vote. And after weeks of polls telling us Biden's lead is massive, we get this from ABC News, quoting former Vice President Joe Biden holds a discernible, though not insurmountable, electoral college advantage over President Donald Trump with multiple paths to the presidency, but little margin for error. According to ABC News, initial ratings for the 2020 general election. And it took place in Austin over the weekend. A Black Lives Matter supporter shoots a car, uh, shoots uh, at a car and the car's driver fires back and kills him. Well, the individual was interviewed earlier in the day with his AK-47. He fired five times at the car, missing the driver. The driver then fired back three times. He didn't miss. California requires state colleges teach ethnic studies or social justice in their re-education camps called college. And WISN's Dan O'Donnell reports a black Trump supporter who was well known to his community for standing on street corners with vote Trump signs, as well as signs plastered with Bible verses, was killed in broad daylight in Milwaukee River West neighborhood on Thursday afternoon. Burnell Trammell, 60, was shot in front of his business, Expression Publications. The building is covered in handmade signs, the most prominent of which reads, Vote Donald Trump 2020 and Re-elect Trump 2020. Law enforcement sources said that it is impossible to know the motive of the shooting since the suspect is not yet in custody, but detectives Detectives are investigating the possibility that Trammell was killed over his political beliefs. Republican uh, Black Lives Matter uh, rather demonstrably 
don't matter. According to Fox News, San Francisco Giants pitcher Sam Conrad was the only player to stand during a moment honoring the Black Lives Matter movement ahead of the season's opener against Los Angeles Dodgers, telling reporters after the game that he's a Christian and he can't kneel before anything besides God. Aside from his religious beliefs, the 27-year-old relief pitcher said, there are aspects of the movement that I disagree with. I can't, I just can't get on board with a couple of things I've read about Black Lives Matter, uh, how they lean towards Marxism, he continued, and they said some negative things about the nuclear family. I just can't get on board with that, end quote. The president has signed a potentially counterproductive executive order on drug prices. And the U.S. Supreme Court is denying a Nevada church appeal of discriminatory coronavirus restrictions. The Democratic National Committee platform mentions whites 15 times, all of which are critical. Big wins for Bernie Sanders wing of the Democrat Party in that um, platform. And economic advisor Larry Kudlow says the next coronavirus stimulus bill will include more checks and extend the moratorium on evictions. Parking tickets are covered by the Eighth Amendment ban on excessive fines, according to a federal court ruling. And a Washington Post, uh, the Washington Post, has settled a $250 million defamation suit with Covington teen Nick Sandman. George Soros, also on the left, has poured a record $50 million into the 2020 election, which uh, my guess is just a gross understatement of all that he has actually given to the effort. Well, coming up, we're going to talk with Larry Elder. He is the producer of Uncle Tom, an oral history of the American black conservative. You can uh, watch this documentary slash movie at UncleTom.com. Use the keyword Portland and enjoy a 20% discount on that film. Larry Elder joins me in just a few moments. When we finish my conversation with him, we'll take a look at Representative John Lewis, who's lying in state in the Capitol, the first uh, black man to do so in our nation's history. And the Supreme Court has denied a Nevada church an appeal. They can't go back to uh, service, according to this latest decision. That and more when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I had an opportunity this weekend to watch an extraordinary documentary. Now, when I'm asked to watch a documentary, I balance my expectations because documentaries can be dry, slow, and perhaps a bit uninteresting. That certainly was not the case with the documentary we're going to be talking about now, Uncle Tom, an oral history of the American black conservative. Joining me is Larry Elder. He is a prominent Salem talk host. He is also a conservative. He's an African-American. And yes, those two things, as you probably know, if you listen to this program, can and do go together. Larry Elder, first of all, let me congratulate you on your extraordinary work. Well, Georgine, thank you so much for seeing it. The reaction to the film is exactly what I hoped it would be. And you're right about documentaries. They typically are boring. There's no chase scene. There's no sex. There's no violence, generally speaking. <laughs> and so they're dull. And I wanted this to be an entertaining fun movie. Even if you don't like the politics, you'll sit down and then you'll say, this was a fun, entertaining movie and informative. And I think I've achieved that. Absolutely. And one of the things that's amazing about that is the fact that you cover a broad swath of history and it was so relevant to the time that we are in. um, I could not tear myself away. Now, this was released on Juneteenth. Um, which uh, we all know now because of the the attention that it's been given, uh, reflects the day that um, we were actually made free by virtue of the end of the Civil War. Uh, Was that by design? And certainly the time that this is released in makes it even more relevant to people who are scratching their heads trying to understand this moment. 
yes, it was absolutely by design, but I can't say that two and a half years ago when we started making the film, uh, I knew that George Floyd was going to be killed and that a bunch of people were going to be in the streets protesting uh, the idea of systemic racism by the cops. I didn't anticipate that. But yeah, uh, the, the, the date we put it out was because uh, this is the date of emancipation. Uh, and I wanted to say that black people are free. One of the things, that, the themes that drives this whole documentary, one of the things that Candace Owens and, and Carol Swain and Herman Cain and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West all say is that America is the land of the free. You are free to think for yourself. And we black conservatives ought to be able to do that without being dismissed and maligned as Uncle Tom's and sellouts and things I can't say on family radio. Yeah, yeah. Now, for some of our listeners, they don't understand the connotation of the the use of the the phrase Uncle Tom when applied to a conservative who does not march in lockstep with the what we're told is the majority of African-Americans across the country in their liberalism. Can you explain that? Sure. The term Uncle Tom has become, as you pointed out, a term that means somebody who uh, hates his own people, is against his own people, is pursuing policies that hurt his own people. And the irony is that the novel Uncle Tom, written by Harriet Beecher Stowe, uh, is based upon a character who is a real-life slave uh, named uh, Josiah Henson, who was actually in real life a hero. Uh, He ultimately started a colony for freed slaves in Canada because he so hated slavery. Uh, And in the book, he's also a hero. But people, most people have never read the book, uh, and the term has somehow become corrupted to come to, to mean, uh, just as I said, uh, any individual who is uh, advocating policies that hurt his own people and doing it on purpose because he wants to hurt his own people to curry favor with white people because for some reason he has identified with whites more than he more than he's identified with the plight of black people, even though he himself was a slave. It, it, it's it's tor- tortured and twisted, and I'm not quite sure, Georgine, why suddenly <laughs> the term Uncle Tom became a negative one, but that's uh, that's what happened. One of the things that you feature in the documentary is the fierce disagreement between Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois. Now, this is a, a, a debate that I suppose continues even into the 21st century. Can you explain their two views of how African-Americans should relate to the American culture then and now? Yeah, they used to be friends. Uh, they, they both used to work together. Uh, and and W.B. Du Bois was a co-founder of the NAACP. They used to be, be friends. They used to both feel that, that we needed to work together to overcome the plight of slavery and, and the plight of, of Jim Crow South. But they became a division because Booker T. Washington believed that black people should focus their attention on learning a skill, a trade, something uh, that would be a benefit to the community. And he believed that if you do that, ultimately you will be rewarded no matter your race. W.B. Du Bois felt differently. He felt that, that black people needed to ab- agitate for, for civil rights uh, and that until you ab- agitate for civil rights, it doesn't matter how skilled you are, white people still will not, uh, will not uh, pay for your good or pay for your service. Uh, and they then no longer were friends. They became sort of uh, ideological enemies. And eventually, W.E.B. Du Bois renounced his citizenship, became a communist. Uh, Meanwhile, the Tuskegee Institute that Booker T. Washington founded is still there today. So you can make an argument that Booker T. Washington proved to be right in the long run, and Du Bois proved to be wrong in the long run. And yet his perspective still prevails in much of the country. You trace the long history of African-Americans and the two major political parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, and how the vast majority of uh, of uh, blacks were Republican in the beginning. And there's a reason for that. And uh, not much has changed in the Democrat Party, although superficially we see a lot of uh, supposed changes. That's an important history to understand why blacks march in lockstep with one political party over the other. 
well, well, that's right. Uh, at first, when blacks had the right to vote, uh, understandably, all blacks were Republicans because the Republican Party was founded to stop the spread of slavery and eventually to eliminate it. And one of the founding principles of the Democratic Party was to preserve slavery. Uh, and as the movie points out, uh, Democrats opposed unanimously the 13th Amendment that freed the slaves, the 14th Amendment that gave slaves citizenship, the 15th Amendment that gave slaves, at least on paper, the right to vote. And as a percentage of the party, more Republicans voted for the Civil Rights Act of 64 than did Democrats. Democrats founded the KKK. Uh, but in the, uh, during the uh, Great Depression, because of the New Deal, uh, blacks then began voting, voting Democrat. About 60% of blacks began voting Democrat, and that trend has continued. And, it, and they made what, what uh, Denesta Souza refers to as a, a Faustian bargain. I mean, you're in the party of Jim Crow. You're in the party uh, that supported uh, these Jim Crow laws. You're in the party of, of George Wallace, who stood in front of the school door saying, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. And you're in that party because of benefits that FDR gave you. Uh, it was a strange uh, a deal to make, uh, but black people did it. And then in the 60s, another large percentage of blacks began voting for the Democratic Party because of the way uh, MLK was handled by John, John Kennedy and Kennedy staff versus Richard Nixon and Richard Nixon staff in 1960. During that important race, MLK was arrested, and his aides drafted identically worded letters to the Nixon people and to the Kennedy people. And the Kennedy people responded. Uh, Robert Kennedy made a phone call and got uh, Martin Luther King out of jail. And that story went to black churches like wildfire. Uh, I remember hearing about it from, from my pastor. Uh, and that co- sort of completed the, uh, the, the, the travel from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. From that point on, blacks began voting for the, the Democratic Party in substantial numbers to the point now where 95% of blacks vote for the Democratic Party. Are you seeing any change in that allegiance? Are, are you seeing that uh, African Americans are, are more woke, if you will, to uh, its own history? <laughs> I, I think so, and uh, and especially if and when they see uh, my movie Uncle Tom. But but you're right. Uh, D- Donald Trump has delivered the best economic, uh, best economy for blacks in history, lowest unemployment rate. Uh, he spent more money for historically black colleges. He spent more money for so-called enterprise zones. He's doing something about illegal immigration. Uh, there's an economist named George Borjas. He's probably done more work on the impact of legal and illegal immigration than maybe any other economist. And he said there are winners and losers when it comes to illegal immigration. The winners obviously are the uh, illegals themselves and employers who get cheap labor. The losers are people, black and brown, unskilled workers who have to compete for jobs that uh, otherwise would be held by them, and they have to endure downward pressure on their wages because of the availability of unskilled labor that employers know they could they could use. Um, and you have Donald Trump doing something about it, and more importantly, Donald Trump wants to allow urban parents choice in school. I went to Crenshaw High School. That was a school that was featured in Boys mm. in the Hood. Right yeah. now, 3% Gene, 3% of kids can do math at grade level, and it's a school that's dominated by the gang called the Crips. I know that because Ice-T went to my high school after I did and told me he chose it because he wanted to go to a, a Crip school. Now, you're a parent living within a certain radius of that school. You are mandated to send your kid to a school where only 3% of kids can do math at grade level and is a Crip school, and the Republican Party wants to give you a voucher so possibly you can get your kid out of that school to a better school, and I'm pulling, my, pulling the lever for the party that says, hell no, you're going to a bad school no matter what. So, for all these reasons, I believe that black people are rethinking their allegiance to the point where if the election were held today, I believe that Trump would get at least 50% more than he got in 2016 from black voters, maybe even twice as much. 
Mm. We're talking about the film Uncle Tom, an oral history of the American black conservative. It is a must-see film from my perspective, and I would highly recommend it. It is a collection of intimate interviews with some of America's most provocative black conservative thinkers, many of whom you may not know exist. It features media personalities, ministers, civil rights activists, veterans, and a self-employed plumber, all talking about their perspective um, that deals with all kinds of issues of importance, uh, self-empowerment, individualism, rejecting the victim narrative, and so on. Now, I know our listeners are going to want to see this, especially in this moment where there's a lack of general understanding. What's the best way for our listeners to watch this film? Real simple, UncleTom.com. Just go to UncleTom.com. You can stream it, or you can order the DVD, and you can also get some Uncle Tom merch. Be the first in your hood to get you an (laughs) Uncle Tom T-shirt or an Uncle Tom cap. And by the way, take a selfie and send it to me. I'll put it on social media. (laughs) That is definitely a portrait in courage if you wear that shirt in this area. (laughs) Well, you know, I watched the film thinking I'm going to watch it and I'm going to move on. This definitely has to be added to my library, so I will be purchasing it soon. And I should mention to our listeners, if you use the promo code Portland, you can uh, enjoy a 20% discount. But let me encourage you, especially here in Portland, where things are unsettled, we'll put it that way. This is a film you need to see to better understand what's going on in the world around us. And I think it's a hopeful movie. It really emphasizes that there is hope. And I I was encouraged, inspired, and I have to admit, I wept through parts of it. it. It's just extremely well done. So appreciate you, Larry Elder, and the work that you've done on this film and just your work in general. You're, you're really uh, contributing significantly to our country and to our culture. Thank you so much for that. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Again, Larry Elder, he is the producer of the film and the director is Justin Malone. You can go to UncleTom.com, use the promo code Portland, enjoy a 20% discount. But this is a film you must see. Larry, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. God bless. Thank you for having me. You as well. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we will be back, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Seattle police chief sent a simple message to businesses during the riot saying, you're on your own. And if you thought defund the police was insane, you'll love abolish prisons in Seattle as well. Well, a radio host mocked Donald Trump for, by claiming Seattle is peaceful. Then rioters wrecked his apartment building. Now he's armed himself. He's apparently on his own. Rifle ammunition and Molotov cocktails were found by Portland police on the 60th consecutive night of protests. And civil rights activists are firing back at Portland protesters. It's no longer about black lives. Chicago violence, two dead, 47 injured in another bloody weekend. Well, Florida has surpassed New York with coronavirus tally of 423,855, but has fewer deaths. And cases soar in young adults bored with social distancing and contracting the virus. The president's national security advisor, Robert O'Brien, tests positive for the virus, in fact. And is there a connection between coronavirus and air conditioning? Well, the evidence is mixed, but suggests the answer could be yes. Well, a Yale epidemiologist says hydrochloroquine is a key to defeating COVID-19. The back and forth continues. The CDC released updated guidelines in favor of reopening schools. You can find out more about that at thehill.com. And as public schools go all viral in the fall, parents are eyeing private schools that say they will open their campuses. Now, in some states, they're forbidding private schools from doing so, even if they can do so while observing all of the necessary distancing requirements and masks. 
Hurricane updates. Hannah makes landfall in Texas. Douglas prompts hurricane warnings in Oahu. And Rutgers University declares grammar racists. The English department pledges to incorporate critical grammar, whatever that is, into the program. Ecstatic Teens opens his first ever paycheck and learns what taxes are all about. He's absolutely crushed. Welcome to the real world, ecstatic teen. And young Americans' ignorance of socialism threatens our freedom and vitality, so writes the Daily Signal. On this day in history, 1996, terror strikes the Atlanta Olympics as a pipe bomb explodes at Central Olympic Park, directly killing one person and injuring 111. Anti-government extremist Eric Rudolph would uh, uh, later plead guilty to the bombing, exonerating security guard Richard Jewell, who had been wrongly suspected. 1794, looking a bit further back, French revolutionary leader Maximilien Robespierre is overthrown, placed under arrest, and he's executed the following day. What goes around apparently comes around. 1866, Cyrus W. Field finishes um, laying out the first successful underwater telegraph cable between North America and Europe. A previous cable in 1858 burned out after only a few weeks' use. On this day in history, 1909, during the first official test of the U.S. Army's first airplane, Orville Wright flies himself and a passenger, Lieutenant Frank Lamb, above Fort Myer, Virginia, for one hour and 12 minutes. 1960, on this day in history, Vice President Richard M. Nixon is nominated for president on the first ballot at the Republican National Convention in Chicago. 1967, President Lyndon Baines Johnson appoints the Kerner Commission to assess the causes of urban rioting. The same day, black militant H. Rat Brown tells a press conference in Washington that violence was as American as cherry pie. 1974, the House Judiciary Committee votes 27 to 11 to adopt the first of three articles of impeachment against President Richard Nixon, changing, rather charging, he had personally engaged in a course of conduct designed to obstruct justice in the Watergate case. And finally, on this day in history, 1976, Air Force veteran Ray Brennan becomes the first person to die of so-called Legionnaire's disease following an American Legion convention in Philadelphia. Lawmakers memorialized Representative John Lewis, the Democrat from Georgia, on Monday as his uh, casket arrived at the U.S. Capitol building to lie in state on the third of six days of programs honoring the civil rights icon. Lewis is the first African-American to have the honor of lying in state in the Capitol Rotunda. The late congressman was first transported from Montgomery, Alabama, to Maryland's Joint Base Andrews for a short ceremony before a motorcade accompanied him to the Capitol, passing a number of landmarks along the way. The motorcade paused at various sites, including the Black Lives Matter Plaza, where Lewis made his final public appearance. A military honor guard escorted Lewis' casket up the east front steps and into the rotunda before a ceremony preceding his casket lying in state, featuring words from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. All of John's colleagues stand with his son, John Miles, their family, and the entire country in thanking God that he gave our nation this hero it needed so badly, McConnell said. May all of us that he um, leaves behind um, under this uh, dome pray for a fraction of John's strength to keep bending that arc toward justice. Lewis, whose casket will rest on the Lincoln uh, Cata flag, something like that. The same platform that held the casket of the 16th president will later be repositioned at the east front steps. The public will be permitted to view him beginning at 6 p.m. on Monday until 10 p.m. Public viewing will resume on Tuesday morning and continue until he is laid to rest.
The Supreme Court on Friday denied an appeal by the Nevada Church to allow additional worshipers to join in-person services based on capacity with the coronavirus pandemic. Well, Nevada has placed a 50-person cap on all places of worship, no matter the capacity of the building, as a part of the state's coronavirus restrictions. But casinos, along with other businesses, such as restaurants and movie theaters, they can permit up to 50% capacity, allowing casinos to grant access to hundreds of patrons at a time. Justice Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh all issued dissenting opinions rejecting the constitutionality of that decision. This is a simple case under the governor's edict. A 10-screen multiplex may host 500 moviegoers at a time, just as Neil Gorsuch wrote on Friday. In Nevada, it seems it is better to be in entertainment than religion. Maybe that is nothing new, but the First Amendment prohibits such obvious discrimination against the exercise of religion, he added. Well, Nevada lawmakers had urged the Supreme Court to reject the appeal, arguing the claims of religious discrimination were false and unverified. Temporarily narrowing restrictions on the size of mass gatherings, including for religious services, protects the health and well-being of Nevada citizens during a global pandemic, they wrote last week. They said places of worship can permit as many followers as they like for outdoor services and that law enforcement did not have the resources to enforce the 50% capacity regulations, whereas casinos are beholden to the Nevada Gaming Control Board, which has enforced additional employee training and health requirements. Calvary Chapel, Dayton Valley, a church located in rural Nevada, had uh, appealed the regulation limiting church capacity, requesting the ability to hold services for 90 people, roughly 50 percent of its fire code capacity. But the Supreme Court denied that appeal. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a break here in just a moment. When we return in the second hour of today's program, we'll hear from Ron Price, author of Play Nice and Your Sandbox at Home, How to Enjoy Peaceful Relationships with the Important People in Your Life. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're just looking at some of the news stories of the day and looking forward to a conversation with Ron Price. Play nice in your sandbox at home. By the way, we're going to reprise my conversation with Larry Elder. If you know somebody who needs to hear that, we'll play it for you again in the second hour of today's program. Well, two Senate Republicans are pushing to provide coronavirus stimulus checks to nearly two million Americans who were excluded from the first round of $1,200 payments. Senators uh, Marco Rubio and Tom Tillis, both Republicans from Florida and North Carolina, respectively, have renewed an earlier push to ensure that American citizens who are married to foreign nationals without Social Security numbers received the same $1,200 checks that um, tens of millions of Americans received earlier this year as part of the federal government's massive pandemic response. Roughly 1.7 million Americans who jointly file taxes with their spouse who does not have a Social Security number were barred from receiving the federal money, reportedly at the direction of the White House. No American should be denied a federal stimulus check because they are married to a foreign national who is not a U.S. citizen, Rubio said in a statement. With a global pandemic, we must ensure Americans are receiving the funds appropriated by the federal government to keep families afloat during a national crisis. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said Friday that a bipartisan bill to set up commissions that would recommend changes to address looming insolvency in federal trust funds will be in the Republicans' new coronavirus package, tipping off a back and forth between Democrats who decried it as a backdoor cut to Medicare and Social Security, while others lauded it as a step to protect the popular programs. Among those slamming the move by McConnell, 
to include the Trust Act written by Senator Mitt uh, Romney and co-sponsored by Republicans and Democrats in the House and the Senate was Maya Cummings, the activist and widow of the late Representative Elijah Cummings. The bill, in addition to Medicare and Social Security, would also address the Federal Highway Trust Fund. House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Representative Richard Neal of Massachusetts said in a statement that Romney's bill will result in far-reaching cuts to Social Security and Medicare. That is the intention of the bill. About the nonpartisan watchdog committee for the responsible federal budget called Neal's statement false and misleading, saying that the cuts would not come immediately, as Neal said, and that the bill instead calls for long-term solutions for our major trust funds over the coming decades. Uh, saying that the uh, bill would name no policy changes directly, just that it creates commissions to get lawmakers to come together and agree on needed reforms, without which the uh, programs will ultimately be insolvent. And it was arguably the busiest moment from an interview that made a lot of noise and a lot of news. A group is quietly planning for what happens if Trump-Biden's election is contested. I have to see. No, I'm uh, not going to just say yes, which is what the president said. I'm going to say um, no, and I didn't last time either. Well, that's what the president said when he was pressed during his recent sit-down interview with Fox News Sunday host Chris Wallace on whether he'd accept November's presidential election results. Well, the comment went viral, sparking scores of headlines and stories theorizing what might happen if the president loses November's general election but won't accept the results and concede. Now, the question is whether or not if there are questions about the fairness of the election, uh, whether or not you would challenge it. But of course, it's um, been skewed to, no, I'm not going to leave if I lose the election. Well, on Sunday, the president took to Twitter to charge that the 2020 election will be totally rigged if mail-in voting is allowed to take place and everyone knows it. Well, Trump's been warning about the rigid, um, or rather rigged election for months as he repeatedly uh, railed against voting by mail because the mail-in ballot 2020 will be the most rigged election of our nation's history. Meanwhile, days before the president's tweet in June, a group of former government and military officials, political operatives and academics met virtually to take part in a war game to try to figure out what might happen in the event of such a contested election. We've had them before. The gathering was uh, organized by the nonpartisan Transition Integrity Project. The scenarios they played out include a narrow electoral college victory by Democratic challenger Joe Biden over the president and no clear-cut winner on election night. Participants played the roles of Biden and Trump's campaign leaders, Democratic and GOP elected officials, the news media and other important players to see what would happen under such circumstances. Well, we did see that play out somewhat with uh, Al Gore and um, George W. Bush, um, but there was a smooth transition of power, which I expect will be the case this time around. However, if it's an electoral college question and the violence and rioting that we're seeing across the country continues, it could be a very challenging season ahead in November, as some have predicted. Well, the 60th consecutive day of protests in Portland was punctuated Sunday night by the discovery of a bag of rifle ammunition and Molotov cocktails by police responding to a chaotic scene in Lonsdale Square Park. Around the same time the ammunition and destructive devices were being uncovered, Portland police responded to reports of gunfire at the same park. Two people were taken into custody near Southwest 4th Avenue and Southwest Salmon Street and have since been released. A person arrived at the hospital by private vehicle with an apparent gunshot wound, but the injury was not life-threatening, according to the Portland Police Bureau. 
Police said the discovery of the ammunition and the shooting around the same time did not appear to be related, though the investigation is ongoing. The gunfire erupted about a block from where protesters had been clashing with police and U.S. agents. It wasn't clear if either incident was connected to the demonstrations. The protest late Sunday started peacefully but intensified early Monday, as has been the pattern. Several hundred people gathered outside the Mark O. Hatfield U.S. courthouse, spent hours blocking streets, yelling, chanting, banging on the fence, and throwing objects over it. The crowd began launching um, mortar-style fireworks over the fence before midnight, climbing over the fence, entering the portico. Around the same time, another group of demonstrators lit a large fire at Lounsdale Square Park. Police said people in the crowd continually picked up the, the fence, and some gathered with shields and umbrellas to cover a person trying to cut through it. Just before 1 a.m. Monday, someone started a fire just inside the fence along Southwest 3rd Avenue. Dozens of people approached the outside of the fence with shields and began throwing objects over it. U.S. agents deployed gas and flashbangs and warned protesters to stay off federal property. It's the same thing that's being played over and over again. If you don't want the feds, uh, you know, turn your attention elsewhere, not the federal courthouse. The Portland Police Bureau said it did not participate in dispersing the crowd by the federal courthouse, which is part of the problem. Um, and uh, so the same scenario played out again and probably will again tonight as evidenced by the helicopters that fly over my home throughout the night. Meanwhile, U.S. Attorney Billy Williams has ripped the Portland ban on police working with feds. Oregon's U.S. Attorney Billy Williams told the Oregonian over the weekend that Portland officials were engaged in nonsensical political theater by banning city police from working with the federal law enforcement and swore that the federal government would not be abandoning any of the federal buildings in the city. Anyone who thinks we're just going to give up courthouse, Hatfield Pioneer Courthouse, or any other federal facility downtown, that's not going to happen, Williams said in an interview. Uh, we're not leaving. For two full months, protesters have demonstrated nightly outside the Mark O. Hatfield U.S. courthouse, attempting to set the courthouse on fire, vandalizing the building, throwing knives and using fireworks against federal law enforcement sent to defend the building. The unrest has come as similar protests have raged around the country, aimed ostensibly at bringing about racial justice and defunding police departments in the wake of the death of George Floyd in late May, while in the custody of the Minneapolis Police Department. But increasingly, African-American leaders here and across the country are saying this has nothing to do with George Floyd, and it's a pretext for other things. Despite what's being chanted, there's growing frustration within the black community that this is purportedly designed to... Uh, address uh, injustices regarding. So there you go. Uh, and again, it will continue uh, tonight and I suppose in the days ahead. Meanwhile, the president says he's going to send more than 100 federal agents to Portland. State and local officials claim he's making things worse, although they were pretty bad before the feds arrived. The administration says he's sending more help. The U.S. Marshal Service will send 100 deputy U.S. Marshals to Portland, according to an internal marshal's email reviewed by the Washington Post. The first batch of men and women began arriving Thursday night. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic at the top of the hour. When we return, we'll hear from Ron Price. Play nice in your sandbox at home. Stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. My next guest makes the point, rightly so, that marriages are under some strain. Far too many couples from the very beginning have a false image of marriage. Either we think we're going to have to grin and bear it and just kind of put up with the hard times, or it's going to be that um, nonstop bliss uh, that you see on television. Well, it's uh, neither of those things. At some, uh, some couples find themselves locked in tight quarters with their spouse and kids for weeks, as we have been. 
Some are starting to lose it, fight and bicker, or even resort to domestic violence. Well, one thing for certain, one's character is inevitably revealed in times of stress and crisis. I think we're all seeing that today. Well, the author of Play Nice in Your Sandbox at Home, How to Enjoy Peaceful Relationships with the Most Important People in Your Life, my guest has seen it all. He provides clearly defined guidelines for how to resolve conflict in marriage. And he talks about the value of playing together, investing in one another, in dealing with anger, showing appreciation, and seeing marriage as a team sport. Well, Ron Price uh, owns and operates Productive Outcomes, Inc., where he provides uh, mediation and life marriage coaching, along with uh, workplace training and public speaking services. Uh, his book is one that I would recommend for all of us who are sheltering in place and want to do so in a way that when we look back, we can uh, be grateful for the time that we grew closer together rather than farther apart um, through the strain. Ron Price, thank you so much for joining us. Georgina, it's my pleasure. And that was such a nice introduction. I don't want to add anything. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to risk taking away from what you just said. No, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for those gracious words. Oh, you're so very welcome. You know, this is a stressful season. Uh, my husband and I are sheltering here in our home. I'm working from home. We take care of my 89-year-old mother from home. Everything seems to be centered here. And it's an environment that on the one hand, we're thoroughly enjoying. On the other hand, it does place some strain. Can you describe for us what some of the challenges are that we face when our circumstances change so dramatically and you add to that a bit of uncertainty? Well, uncertainty and extra time together, Jordine, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, l- let me tell you really quickly, though, why marriages are a challenge. Why why so often we have difficulty in marriage. May I tell your, your listeners that? It, it's because you married a human being. That was the first mistake you made. You married an imperfect <laughs> human being. I don't know what you were thinking. But uh, no, seriously, though, if, if you take two imperfect people and then you add other little imperfect people to the mix and expect that there's never going to be a, an unpleasant word or an uncomfortable situation, that's just not realistic just not realistic. So in the best of families, there will be moments of, of discord, disharmony, whatever you want to call it. So now, like you just said, you add the extra stress, the uncertainty, and we're together even more. Oh, yeah, that's, that's absolutely a, a ripe environment for some ugliness, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you use the analogy of a sandbox, and it seems so entirely appropriate. How did that image um, come to your head in explaining, you know, the fact that we're all living together in a common environment where maybe the ground underneath us doesn't feel quite as firm as we, we'd hope? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I people ask me, where did you grow up? I say, I'm trying to do it in Farmington, New Mexico. I don't, <laughs> I don't ever want to grow up, Georgine. I want to be an adult. I want to be responsible for myself. But, but anything that brings us back to the carefree days of childhood, at least the, the relatively carefree days where we had to learn how to get along. We had to, we had to play well together. We had to share our toys, different things like that. It just, it just seemed like a nice analogy to me. And then God gave me the play nice acronym. The play is a four step model to prevent trivial matters from blowing up on you and, and getting out of hand. The nice is a four step model to resolve significant differences that you're bound to have from time to time. So play nice in your sandbox. There you go. 
I love the title. I think it's fairly um, common for the common courtesies that we extend to strangers to get lost in our marriages. It's, mm. it's as if we take a deep breath when we walk through the door. I don't have to be kind. I don't have to be generous. I don't have to be. I'm tired. I just want to be left alone and be thoroughly myself, which isn't always that pleasant. Um, why is it that in these uh, environments that we're uh, with the people that we love the dearest, that we're closest to, that we tend to, I don't know, let uh, let down a little bit? Yeah, there's a couple of things there, Georgine. Number one, it's a fact of life. Hurting people are going to hurt people. Hmm. If I'm upset, if I'm angry about something, if I'm frustrated, I'm going to take that out on somebody else. I just am. And I'm probably not going to get in my car, drive across town looking for somebody to take it out on. I'm going to take it on who, whoever's in striking distance, which most of the time is going to be family members. And so that's why that old song that our parents' generation sang, you always hurt the ones you love. Yeah. Or maybe our grandparents' generation. But, but it's true because they're there when you're not at your best, if you're not careful, yeah, you can say something you'll later wish you hadn't said. God forbid you can do something you'll later on wish you hadn't done. These are tense times. But, but Georgine, that's, that's almost an excuse, if you will. That there's always tense times. There's always difficulties. I think Charles Dickens said it so well. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. That's, that's true for every one of us all the time. Yeah, that's uh, Georgine, such a good I bet point. right now... I, it is. I bet right now in your life, something is going real well. You wouldn't change a thing. Other thing, other areas could probably stand some improvement. Am I right on that? Have you been reading my diary? Hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> yes. That's a yes. <laughs> but it is. It's true for all of us. So we do. We have to, we have to be careful when we're at a store, when we're out in public. I think we have that extra measure of, oh, you know, people might be watching and, and we kind of care about our reputation or whatever. So we're on guard and, and we say please and thank you. But then we get home and we think, well, maybe that's not so important. We, we take each other for granted, which is a huge mistake. Huge yeah. mistake. Yeah. So how do we avoid that? Um, obviously, there has to be that deep breath taken where your shoulders are relaxed again. But how do we avoid not playing nice in our own sandbox where it's most important? Yeah. Well, we make sure that we're we're playing together. We're having fun together on a regular basis because along with, with common courtesies, another area that gets neglected is, is having fun. You know, when couples first meet, they're attracted to each other and they, they talk with each other and they do things together. And, and then they say, oh, let's do this forever. And, and, and they, they continue to have fun for a while. But then after a time, life gets busy. You know, you let, life becomes all about raising the kids and paying the bills, or or is it paying the kids and raising the bills? One of the <laughs> one of those two. <laughs> little of both. But, but, yeah, little of both. But you know what I'm saying? Life gets busy and yeah. fun gets pushed to the wayside in too many families. You need to be determined about it. You need to be intentional. That's one of my favorite words. Yes. When we're talking about marriage, don't just put it on autopilot and expect it to be fine. I. I hate the expression, marriage takes work. Georgine, I work for a living. I work all day. I don't want to think I have to go home and work all night. But, but it takes paying attention, being focused, being intentional, choosing to have the marriage that you want. And playing is a huge part of that. 
Another is, is look for the good. You have to force yourself now and then to look for the good qualities in your mate because they're there. So are the negatives. Those are easy to see. But the L chapter in the play model is, is look for the good. Make sure you're, you're observing positive behavior and you're letting your mate or your children know, hey, I appreciate that. Thank you. That means yeah. a lot. You know, you do that, you're going to see more of it. You're going to see more of it. We're talking with uh, Ron Price, and we're talking about his uh, book, Play Nice in Your Sandbox at Home, How to Enjoy Peaceful Relationships with the Important People in Your Life. I need to take a quick break, but we're going to continue that conversation. And let me encourage you, this is a book that just might help you uh, through this season and in the seasons ahead when life returns to what we hope will be somewhat normal. (laughs) You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back shortly. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Ron Price. He is the author of Play Nice in Your Sandbox at Home. I think I need to repeat that because for some of us, we need to be reminded, you know, this is my sandbox at home. Play nice. We were talking just before the break about how to go about that. And one of the things I think when we have been offended, when things haven't gone well, we have heard the phrase, just forgive and forget. You say that that's unrealistic. What do we do when we have been offended, when things are going rough uh, with that baggage that we tend to carry with us? What's the right approach if forgive and forget isn't? Well, I love the forgive part, Georgine. Yeah. Don't get me wrong on that. Forgive is wonderful. It's the forgetting part that I have an issue with. I often challenge people, think back to your second grade, first or second grade teacher and raise your hand when you have the, the name or the picture that you have the face of your first or second grade teacher. And Georgine, most hands go up within just a few seconds. Yes. And then I ask, all right, when was the last time you thought about your first or second grade teacher? And they go, oh, it's been, it's been years. But look how quick you were able to recall. God created our minds, Georgine, in such a way that we remember everything. But, but to say forgive and forget, short of brain damage, and, and I'm not making a joke there. Some people know if you've had a traumatic brain injury, yeah, your memory could be, could be unreliable and you might be able to forget things. But other than that, you, you just can't do it. So let's replace it with forgive and move on. Mm. forgive and move on. Or, or here's a quick story. Let me share about a lady who had been offended by a fellow church member. And, and she was visiting with another friend about it. And, and she said, you know, I decided to forgive her. And the friend said, forgive her. Don't you remember what she did to you? And the lady said, no, I specifically remember forgetting that. (laughs) Isn't that great? I specifically remember forgetting that. So don't, don't try to forgive and forget. You can't do it. Forgive and move on because the enemy will bring thoughts to your mind. You know that. He'll, oh, absolutely. He'll keep throwing it into the forefront of your mind, and you can say, you know what? Uh-uh. Forgive and move on. Okay. Well, forgive I've got a better suggestion. Go. Let's do this. Okay. I'm just going to change my mate. I'm just going to set about oh. changing <laughs> changing my mate. How successful <laughs> am I likely to be with that? <laughs> uh, forgive me. I'm not supposed to laugh at the host, am I? Uh, <laughs> But boy, how common is that, Georgine? How common is that? I saw I saw something on the Today Show years ago. In fact, I write about this in the book. Uh, I, I was I was at work. I just finished breakfast. I was getting ready to settle down and start doing some work, and happened to have the Today Show on. And they said, "Oh, in our next segment, 
Uh, we're going to have an animal trainer who's going to share with us how she used animal training techniques to change her husband. And I said, <laughs> oh, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I hung around for a few moments. And the lady comes on. I can't remember her name. But she comes on and she says, you know, when you're training animals, you look for the behavior that you want. You, you look for them to do the right thing and you lavish praise on them. You reward them. You let them know how much you appreciate that behavior. She said, I started doing that with my husband. When he did things that I like, oh, I just went out of my, oh, thank you. Oh, you're wonderful. Oh, I appreciate that. And she said, and you know what? He began to change. But Georgine, then she looked right in the camera and said, oh, was it me who had changed? Oh, and I started to do a dance. I'm in my office dancing. She got it. Don't don't. Yeah. Oh, the Gandhi said, "Be the change you want to see in the world." How about be the change you want to see in your marriage? How's that sound? Yeah, I like it. I like it. You have in the book the acronym HALT, and each letter stands for something that might contribute to the way we respond to our loved ones. Uh, talk about the acronym HALT and how that can help us in perhaps avoiding problems. Yeah. And, and I certainly didn't make this up, but it's hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Again, Georgine, I, I don't know you. We're just meeting by phone right now. And uh, it, it's great to be with you, by the way. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I know that there are moments when you're not at your best. And that makes two of us in this conversation, in case you're wondering. Yeah. And, and if I'm hungry, if I'm upset, if uh, I'm agitated about something else, you know, whatever, there can be all sorts of reasons that, again, I'm just not going to be at my best. And, and if I have to interact with my wife or children or others at that time, it, it's risky, it's dangerous. So that's why I advocate people call a timeout. When you know you're not at your best, call a timeout. But Georgine, you have to call a timeout the right way. If you do it the wrong way, you're probably going to make it worse, not better. Can I, can I take a moment right or two and share the right way? Thank Absolutely. you. I was hoping you'd ask. <laughs> you, you know, if, if, if you and I are having a, a heated discussion and I just say to you, that's it, time off, and I storm off, I'm not being fair to you because I'm leaving you to wonder, well, wait a minute, is, is he coming back? Are we ever going to discuss this? Uh, again, I should have picked a different example because you and I are not married, but let's say your husband did that. He just said, he stormed off. You're left to wonder, well, is he rejecting me? Is he rejecting the relationship? You don't know. So if you love him, which I know you do, you, you could go after him and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's talk. That's going to make him even more frustrated. So he's going to walk all the, all the faster and further. All he has to do is say, you know what? Hold on. Time out. I'm too upset to talk right now, but I will be back in an hour and we'll talk then. Or how about if we get together at two o'clock and we talk then? Or how about seven o'clock? So they call a timeout, but they establish the time in. You let the other person know it. We will talk about this, just not right now. Mm-hmm. You you can say one of two things to another adult, Georgine. You can say I need a timeout or we need a timeout. I suggest you never say to another adult you need a timeout. I think <laughs> I think you'll find out how much they really do. <laughs> Yeah, whether or not they do, this is not a good way to, <laughs> to go they, they will then, yeah. But, <laughs> so if you call the time out, you are responsible to schedule the time in. That way it's time out, not cop out. If it's an important issue, 
to somebody who's important to you, you have the right to say, I won't talk to you about this right now. You do not have the right to say, I don't ever want to talk to you about this. That's not how relationships are supposed to function. That's that's so good. You write about, um, in fact, I'm going to quote you, if you are in a relationship where escalation occurs frequently and regularly, your relationship is in serious trouble. First of all, describe escalation. And I think during this season, we're seeing numbers where that's the case. Uh, Describe what that means and and what should be done in that sort of situation. Yeah, that's a great question, Georgine, especially to follow up what we were just talking about. Thank you. Escalation is where little things become big things. I didn't like it when you did that. Oh, yeah, what about you? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And then before you know it, I I don't know what it is we're talking about, but it probably has nothing whatsoever to do with whatever started the conversation in the first place. Now, Georgine, how long have you and your husband, Don, been married? 38 years. All right. And you have escalated in your time. We got you. We got you by one year. My wife and I are going to hit 40 in December. So we're oh, 39 Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And right back at you. But any couple who's been married any length of time has escalated at some point in their relationship. Yes. It's human. It's going to happen. And as long as it's now and then, ah, come on. Again, it just married, means you married a human being and so did they. But again, if you're in a relationship where every little thing blossoms, gets out of hand. It's going to steal your joy. It's going to steal your energy. And it's going to sicken your relationship. The late Gary Smalley called called what I write about the five germs. I got them from an organization in Denver, Prep Inc. Dr. Smalley called them germs that will infect and kill off a relationship, any relationship, certainly a marriage. And escalation is one of them. So again, you can probably guess calling a timeout. If you see you're starting to escalate, Call a timeout. Or another technique, I didn't write about this in the book, but I've, I've been espousing it recently. Be disruptive. Okay, you're going to have disruptive. to define that now, one. Yeah, I know, because, Georgina, I, got, I used to get into a lot of trouble as a child for being disruptive, <laughs> and, and, now, and now I advocate it. But let's say, let's say you and your husband, again, I'll, I'll use you as an example if you don't mind. Please. You're having, you're having again, an argument, a discussion that is not pleasant. It's not going in the right direction. All you have to do is say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, time out. I all of a sudden need some fresh air. How about if we go for a walk and let's talk about this on the way? You're disrupting the negative interaction. You're disrupting the pattern. And then once you get outside, you can do what I wrote about the speaker-listener t- technique you can say, hey, we need to understand each other. You go first. Talk to me civilly, please. Make it easy for me to understand you. But I'm going to listen to you, and then hopefully you'll return the favor. Or you're having an argument with a teenage teenage child, and you say, uh, you know what, hold on, hold on. I all of a sudden have a hankering for an ice cream cone. How about if we drive down and get us an ice cream cone? Again, you're disrupting, breaking the negative cycle. You get in the car and say, hey, all right, we got to understand each other. You go first. Talk to me. Mm, So it's kind of a conversation do over, if you will. But yeah, what happens is we just let the negative interactions run their course and their course is usually in a in a a bad direction. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so much more in plain ice in your sandbox at home that time does not permit us to talk about. But I want our listeners to know that you offer chapter challenges, you offer calls to action, a framework for marriage uh, that are under stress and de-stress, and you offer great advice and encouragement on how to keep your your love alive even in times of uncertainty and how to have fun in the midst of it all. Once again, the book is titled Play Nice in Your Sandbox at Home, How to Enjoy Peaceful Relationships with the Important People in Your Life. Book available online. How can our listeners uh, get a copy they need it today it is online it's at amazon for sure but georgine i got one other thing item i'd like to offer your listeners i've recently put together how to protect your relationship from five common but destructive behaviors and uh, it's a simple pdf but i'd like to make that available if anybody sends me an email ron at play nice in your sandbox.com ron at Play nice in your sandbox.com. I'll shoot that off to you. But again, there's, there are there are behaviors that we do in marriage that if we if we realized it and recognized them, had a name to give to them, yeah. we'd be in a much better position to stop them, turn them around, and 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 make things better. Marriage will joy. always be challenging, but it doesn't have to be as hard as we sometimes make it. Yeah, Ron Price, thank you so much. I look forward to our next conversation. I'm sure we'll have one. I hope so, Georgine. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Again, Ron Bye-bye. Price, play nice in your sandbox at home. And, and uh, you can take advantage of that PDF that he offered, play nice in your sandbox.org. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I had an opportunity this weekend to watch an extraordinary documentary. Now, when I'm asked to watch a documentary, I balance my expectations because documentaries can be dry, slow, and perhaps a bit uninteresting. That certainly was not the case with the documentary we're going to be talking about now, Uncle Tom, an oral history of the American black conservative. Joining me is Larry Elder. He is a prominent Salem talk host. He is also a conservative. He's an African-American. And yes, those two things, as you probably know, if you listen to this program, can and do go together. Larry Elder, first of all, let me congratulate you on your extraordinary work. Well, Georgine, thank you so much for seeing it. The reaction to the film is exactly what I hoped it would be. And you're right about documentaries. They typically are boring. There's no chase scene. There's no sex. There's no violence, generally speaking. (laughs) And so they're dull. And I wanted this to be an entertaining fun movie. Even if you don't like the politics, you'll sit down and then you'll say, this was a fun, entertaining movie and informative. And I think I've achieved that. Absolutely. And one of the things that's amazing about that is the fact that you cover a broad swath of history and it was so relevant to the time that we are in. um, I could not tear myself away. Now, this was released on Juneteenth. Um, which uh, we all know now because of the the attention that it's been given, uh, reflects the day that um, we were actually made free by virtue of the end of the Civil War. Uh, Was that by design? And certainly the time that this is released in makes it even more relevant to people who are scratching their heads trying to understand this moment. Yes, it was absolutely by design, but I can't say that two and a half years ago when we started making the film, uh, I knew that George Floyd was going to be killed and that a bunch of people were going to be in the streets protesting uh, the idea of systemic racism by the cops. I didn't anticipate that. But yeah, uh, the, the, the date we put it out was because uh, this is the date of emancipation, uh, and I wanted to say that black people are free. One of the things, that, the themes that drives this whole documentary, one of the things that Candace Owens and, and Carol Swain and Herman Cain and uh, Lieutenant 
Lieutenant Colonel Alan West all say is that America is the land of the free. You are free to think for yourself. And we black conservatives ought to be able to do that without being dismissed and maligned as Uncle Tom's and sellouts and things I can't say on family radio. Yeah, yeah. Now, for some of our listeners, they don't understand the connotation of the the use of the the phrase Uncle Tom when applied to a conservative who does not march in lockstep with the what we're told is the majority of African-Americans across the country in their liberalism. Can you explain that? Sure. The term Uncle Tom has become, as you pointed out, a term that means somebody who uh, hates his own people, is against his own people, is pursuing policies that hurt his own people. And the irony is that the novel Uncle Tom, written by Harriet Beecher Stowe, uh, is based upon a character who is a real-life slave uh, named uh, Josiah Henson, who was actually in real life a hero. Uh, he ultimately started a colony for freed slaves in Canada because he so hated slavery. Uh, and in the book, he's also a hero. But people, most people have never read the book, uh, and the term has somehow become corrupted to come to, to mean, uh, just as I said, uh, any individual who is uh, advocating policies that hurt his own people and doing it on purpose because he wants to hurt his own people to curry favor with white people because for some reason he has identified with whites more than he more than he's identified with the plight of black people, even though he himself was a slave. It, it, it's it's tor- tortured and twisted, and I'm not quite sure, Georgine, why suddenly <laughs> the term Uncle Tom became a negative one, but that's uh, that's what happened. One of the things that you feature in the documentary is the fierce disagreement between Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois. Now, this is a, a, a debate that I suppose continues even into the 21st century. Can you explain their two views of how African-Americans should relate to the American culture then and now? Yeah, they used to be friends. Uh, they, they both used to work together. Uh, and and W.B. Du Bois was a co-founder of the NAACP. They used to be, be friends. They used to both feel that, that we needed to work together to overcome the plight of slavery and, and the plight of, of Jim Crow South. But they became a division because Booker T. Washington believed that black people should focus their attention on learning a skill, a trade, something uh, that would be a benefit to the community. And he believed that if you do that, ultimately you will be rewarded no matter your race. W.B. Du Bois felt differently. He felt that that black people needed to agitate for for civil rights uh, and that until you agitate for civil rights, it doesn't matter how skilled you are, white people still will not not, uh, pay for your good or pay for your service. Uh, And they then no longer were friends. They became sort of uh, ideological enemies. And eventually, W.E.B. Du Bois renounced his citizenship, became a communist. Uh, Meanwhile, the Tuskegee Institute that Booker T. Washington founded is still there today. So you can make an argument that Booker T. Washington proved to be right in the long run, and Du Bois proved to be wrong in the long run. And yet his perspective still prevails in much of the country. You trace the long history of African-Americans and the two major political parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, and how the vast majority of uh, of uh, blacks were Republican in the beginning. And there's a reason for that. And uh, not much has changed in the Democrat Party, although superficially we see a lot of uh, supposed changes. That's an important history to understand why blacks march in lockstep with one political party over the other. Well, that's right. Uh, at first, when blacks had the right to vote, uh, understandably, all blacks were Republicans because the Republican Party was founded to stop the spread of slavery and eventually to eliminate it. And one of the founding principles of the Democratic Party was to preserve slavery. Uh, and as the movie points out, uh, Democrats opposed unanimously the 13th Amendment that freed the slaves, the 14th Amendment that gave slaves citizenship, the 15th Amendment that gave slaves, at least on paper, the right to vote. And as a percentage of the party, more Republicans voted for the Civil Rights Act of 64 than did Democrats. 
Democrats founded the KKK. Uh, but in the uh, during the uh, Great Depression, because of the New Deal, uh, blacks then began voting voting Democrat. About sixty percent of blacks began voting Democrat, and that trend has continued. And it, and they made what what uh, Denesta Souza refers to as journey a, a Faustian bargain. I mean, you're in the party of Jim Crow. You're in the party uh, that supported uh, these Jim Crow laws. You're in the party of, of George Wallace, who stood in front of the school door saying segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. And you're in that party because of benefits that FDR gave you. Uh, it was a strange uh, a deal to make, uh, but black people did it. And then in the 60s, another large percentage of blacks began voting for the Democratic Party because of the way uh, MLK was handled by John, John Kennedy and Kennedy staff versus Richard Nixon and Richard Nixon staff in 1960. During that important race, MLK was arrested, and his aides drafted identically worded letters to the Nixon people and to the Kennedy people. And the Kennedy people responded. Uh, Robert Kennedy made a phone call and got uh, Martin Luther King out of jail. And that story went to black churches like wildfire. Uh, I remember hearing about it from, from my pastor. Uh, and that co- sort of completed the, uh, the, the, the travel from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. From that point on, blacks began voting for the, the Democratic Party in substantial numbers to the point now where 95% of blacks vote for the Democratic Party. Are you seeing any change in that allegiance? Are are you seeing that uh, African Americans are are more woke, if you will, to uh, its own history? <laughs> I, I think so, and uh, and especially if and when they see uh, my movie Uncle Tom. But but you're right. Uh, D- Donald Trump has delivered the best economic, uh, best economy for blacks in history, lowest unemployment rate. Uh, he spent more money for historically black colleges. He spent more money for so-called enterprise zones. He's doing something about illegal immigration. Uh, there's an economist named George Borjas. He's probably done more work on the impact of legal and illegal immigration than maybe any other economist. And he said there are winners and losers when it comes to illegal immigration. The winners obviously are the uh, illegals themselves and employers who get cheap labor. The losers are people, black and brown, unskilled workers who have to compete for jobs that uh, otherwise would be held by them, and they have to endure downward pressure on their wages because of the availability of unskilled labor that employers know they could they could use. Um, and you have Donald Trump doing something about it, and more importantly, Donald Trump wants to allow urban parents choice in school. I went to Crenshaw High School. That was a school that was featured in Boys mm. in the Hood. Right yeah. now, 3% Gene, 3% of kids can do math at grade level, and it's a school that's dominated by the gang called the Crips. I know that because Ice-T went to my high school after I did and told me he chose it because he wanted to go to a, a Crip school. Now, you're a parent living within a certain radius of that school. You are mandated to send your kid to a school where only 3% of kids can do math at grade level and is a Crip school, and the Republican Party wants to give you a voucher so possibly you can get your kid out of that school to a better school, and I'm pulling, my, pulling the lever for the party that says, hell no, you're going to a bad school no matter what. So, for all these reasons, I believe that black people are rethinking their allegiance to the point where if the election were held today, I believe that Trump would get at least 50% more than he got in 2016 from black voters, maybe even twice as much. Mm. We're talking about the film Uncle Tom, an oral history of the American black conservative. It is a must-see film from my perspective, and I would highly recommend it. It is a collection of intimate interviews with some of America's most provocative black conservative thinkers, many of whom you may not know exist. It features media personalities, ministers, civil rights activists, veterans, and a self-employed plumber, all talking about their perspective um, that deals with all kinds of issues of importance, uh, self-empowerment, individualism, rejecting the victim narrative, and so on. Now, I know our listeners are going to want to see this, especially in this moment where there's a lack of general understanding. What's the best way for our listeners to watch this film? 
Real simple, UncleTom.com. Just go to UncleTom.com. You can stream it, or you can order the DVD, and you can also get some Uncle Tom merch. Be the first in your hood to get you an Uncle Tom <laughs> T-shirt or an Uncle Tom cap. And by the way, take a selfie and send it to me. I'll put it on social media. <laughs> that is definitely a portrait in courage if you wear that shirt in this area. <laughs> well, you know, I watched the film thinking I'm going to watch it and I'm going to move on. This definitely has to be added to my library, so I will be purchasing it soon. And I should mention to our listeners, if you use the promo code Portland, you can uh, enjoy a 20% discount. But let me encourage you, especially here in Portland, where things are unsettled, we'll put it that way. This is a film you need to see to better understand what's going on in the world around us. And I think it's a hopeful movie. It really emphasizes that there is hope. And I I was encouraged, inspired, and I have to admit, I wept through parts of it. it. It's just extremely well done. So appreciate you, Larry Elder, and the work that you've done on this film and just your work in general. You're, you're really uh, contributing significantly to our country and to our culture. Thank you so much for that. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Again, Larry Elder, he is the producer of the film and the director is Justin Malone. You can go to UncleTom.com, use the promo code Portland, enjoy a 20% discount. But this is a film you must see. Larry, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. God bless. Thank you for having me. You as well. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we will be back. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, mayors of several major U.S. cities, including Portland, sent a letter to congressional leaders on Monday calling on them to pass laws to block the president from unilaterally sending federal officers to their jurisdictions. Well, the letter to U.S. House and Senate leaders calls it unlawful and repugnant for the president to be able to continue to deploy federal forces to cities without consulting local officials first and against objections. The mayor said the legislation should require consent from local authorities before deployments. The federal agents and their vehicles to have visible identification at the times unless Uh, on an undercover mission allowed by the local U.S. attorney and limits on what crowd control tactics can be used to protect federal property. Now, it's frustrating because city officials are unwilling to protect federal property. They're unwilling to restrain protesters so that federal agents are not considered, in quotes, necessary by either the president or others. And so it's a self-fulfilling property. You center your demonstration that becomes a protest that devolves into a riot around federal facilities. And then when the feds, whose job it is to protect those facilities, respond to prevent the crowds from uh, wreaking havoc and destroying the property, then the hue and cry shifts from what this is supposed to be about uh, to federal agents. So nothing is accomplished except I think people have a sense that we're really doing something meaningful uh, when in fact it's just prolonging in a less than constructive way, um, this violence keeping Portland's name in the newspaper, and I suppose that's a badge of honor for some, I would love to hear some of these peaceful protesters, and there are many of them, perhaps the majority of them, who are well-intentioned, who are trying to focus their attention to denounce those who are responsible at a certain hour of uh, seeing this devolve into something quite different. It's frustrating. And as I mentioned earlier in the program, among blacks in our city and across the country, there is growing frustration that this has very little to do with the words being chanted uh, and far more to do with um, uh, anarchy and and Marxism. Anyway, um, the Portland uh, mayor, Ted Wheeler, um, Albuquerque mayor, Tim Keller, uh, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas, Seattle Mayor uh, Jenny Durkin, and Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, all Democrats, 
say, as demonstrated now in Portland, these federal forces have used the pretext of protecting federal property to also patrol the streets way outside of their lawful jurisdiction, arrest residents without cause, and trample on constitutional rights, the letter said. These actions further erode trust in government at all levels, are delegitimizing local law enforcement, and um, escalate rather than de-escalate tensions. Now, I would love to see Portland's mayor exercise leadership in which he uh, reduces the necessity of uh, the need to protect federal facilities, that he would exercise uh, sufficient leadership so that uh, everyone would agree there's no need for federal protection of facilities, that the president wouldn't feel compelled to do so, whether or not he should, whether or not it escalates. But when you look at these facilities downtown, when you see what happens night after night as things, again, devolve and escalate at the same time, um, one wonders, is there an end in sight? And what will be the pretext uh, if the federal uh, agents were ultimately to um, retreat? My guess is we continue to see what we've been seeing, only with a slightly uh, different twist. In any event, uh, we seem to be at a stalemate, at a standstill, and I don't see any resolution uh, in sight. This could continue right up until election time, which could, depending on the outcome of the election, if the if President Trump were to win, I shudder to think uh, what kinds of uh, demonstrations. I mean, they're focusing on whether or not President Trump will leave. My concern is what will happen if he wins? Uh, what will those who are protesting his very existence uh, do in response? Will they contest the outcome of the election? It is a mess, which is uh, perhaps a great opportunity to be reminded that while all of this is swirling around us and it can be very anxiety producing, that ultimately we can make an appeal uh, to the one who sits on the ultimate throne. And for me, rather than become overwhelmed, um, I, I try to bring these things uh, to God in prayer and ask him to give strength and leadership and courage to those who are responsible for making decisions here in this city and in Washington, all of the players, law enforcement, who's simply trying to carry out what their charge is, whether that's the feds trying to protect federal facilities or local police trying to uh, preserve the peace as much as they are permitted. Um, it is, uh, it's truly a mess, and there seems to be a lack of leadership that is allowing this to continue day 60, and I have no doubt 61 this evening. Anyway, this uh, the letter follows the joint messages sent by Wheeler and other mayors last week to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, requesting Congress investigate the president and his administration's actions in the deployment of federal forces. Now, many of them who have been in place were not deployed. They were already here. This is their home, um, at least while they're working as federal uh, law enforcement. So they weren't deployed. But what the president is now doing, at least with regard to Portland, is deploying um, these federal agents. So it may not have applied to what's happened up to this point to large measure. It has uh, continued and uh, been the practice up to this point. They also sent another letter demanding U.S. Attorney General William Barr and Acting Secretary of Homeland Security Chad Wolf immediately withdraw federal officers. As first reported uh, by OPB on Sunday, the Trump administration plans on sending uh, others to this area. Please pray for our city. Well, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering, and Dan Rice for the use of his office. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. 
Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.